Hi, this is lecture 2.3 on October 8th, 2023. Uh, this week ended in the most disappointing way. I mean, you can really forget last week's third lecture because it's all gone to pot. If you are going to keep up on the events in the Middle East, um, I'm going to ask you to choose your sources carefully. There are an extraordinary amount of opinions out there right now, and plenty of them are anti-Arab, anti-Israel, and, um, and they've revived a lot of anti-Semitism in general. And all I'm going to ask of you, as you try to figure out what's going on in the Middle East right now and how far we are from discussions of any kind of Saudi-Israeli rapprochement, is that you please not equate governments with people and do not accuse humans of the sins of their representative institutions. It is an absolutely sad, sad weekend. My plan for this week was not to talk about the Middle East. I wanted to talk to you about the original Barbenheimer. You know what Barbenheimer is, right? The week this summer when both the movie Barbie and the movie Oppenheimer opened at the same time. Right, so those of you who, who weren't around or didn't watch any of the movies, Barbie is, is really a phenomenal movie. It's ostensibly about a doll who lives in Barbie land and then crosses over. But, but really, what it is, it's an empowering film about self-realization and acceptance. And don't just take my word for it. It raked in $1.38 billion worldwide. It's the highest grossing film for Warner Brothers in its 100-year history. Highest grossing film ever made by a female filmmaker. And um, and the largest worldwide release in 2023. Oppenheimer, slightly more serious, is a biography of Oppenheimer, the, the developer of the ap uh, atomic bomb. And the politics around the bomb and atomic power in general. And the movie was not, you know, made a made pretty big splash as well. So that made about 900 million um, in, in, in intakes that, that so far. So both some pretty major films. Now, what does that have to do with history, you ask? Well, let me introduce you to Dr. Lisa Meitner. If you saw Oppenheimer, there's a scene in which Louis Alvarez, a physicist at, at UC Berkeley, is reading a newspaper while getting a haircut. And all of a sudden, he leaps from his seat and sprints down the road to find his colleague, Oppenheimer, and say, Hi, Oppie, Oppie, they've done it. Hahn and Strassmann in Germany, they split the uranium nucleus. They split the atom. It's a major moment in the film. Luis Alvarez is referring to two German scientists, or I'm sorry, two German chemists, Otto Hahn and Fritz Strassmann, who in 1939 unknowingly reported a demonstration of nuclear fission, which splintered the atom into lighter elements. The discovery was key to the Manhattan Project, which was the top-secret American effort led by Oppenheimer to develop the first nuclear weapons. Now, the problem with that scene is that it ignores Lisa Meitner, a physicist who worked so closely with Hahn and developed the theory of nuclear fission. But only Hahn won the Nobel Prize for nuclear fission. And in his acceptance speech, he referred to Meitner by a German term that sort of means assistance or, or, or employee. Marissa Moss is, is the author of a re recent book about Meitner, and she's been researching it, her, her archive at the University of Cambridge. She's translated hundreds of letters between Meitner and Hahn. And, and these letters offer a really nuanced perspective of the relationship between these two. And it challenges a perception that's quite common so far, that Meitner accepted the outcome of the Nobel Prize without resentment. And what um, Marissa Moss is suggesting is that the snub was more than just about gender. She says it's it's really easy to say that she didn't get it because she was a woman, because, you know, essentially, you know, I, I've already talked about Curie's, Marie Curie's difficulties in, in getting her just prize. 
you know, in general, one doesn't think a woman is going to make no noise about things. Not currently, but at the time. But Miss Moss also believes that Meitner's heritage was at play. That this is a case where it was because she was Jewish. And what is the evidence? Well, it's in the letters. In 1947, Meitner wrote to her nephew, who Otto Robert Frisch, who was also uh, a physicist, also Jewish, and who also contributed to the discovery of nuclear fission. And, and she says this, I know that his attitude, and she's talking about Han's attitude, contribute to the noble committee deciding against us, she said, of Han, in a letter translated by Marissa Moss. But that is a purely private stuff that you and I are not going to make public. So she's saying, we both worked on it. If it was just gender, you at least would have been mentioned. But neither Frisch nor Meitner were mentioned in the to the Nobel Committee. And that is what leads Marissa Moss to conclude that the reason why Meitner did not get the Nobel Prize for contributing to the theory of nuclear fission is that she, it's not just that she was a woman, but she was Jewish. Now, Nobel Week is just behind us, and it's a moment when the scientific community celebrates the greatest achievements, but also increasingly, and lately, Nobel Week is a moment for sort of kind of examining oversights and injustices. Lisa Meitner is one of the many women in science who failed to receive her due credit for their work including, and that's perhaps sort of the most notably, Rosalind Franklin, the chemist who contributed to the discovery of the double helix structure of DNA in 1953. So let me go, let me give you a little bit more detail about Lisa Meitner, who was born in 1878 in Vienna. And she studied, she began studying physics privately because women in Austria were not allowed to attend college until 1897. In 1901, she enrolled in graduate school at the University of Vienna. And five years later, she'd earned her doctorate in physics. She was the only the second woman from her university to ever have done so. She then moved to the University of Berlin and began, began auditing classes taught by Max Planck, who had won the, the 1918 uh, Nobel Prize in physics. And he generally didn't allow women to attend his lectures, but clearly made an exception. In Berlin, Meitner also met Otto Hahn, a chemist who was around her age and was more progressive in terms of sort of interacting and working with women. He was also really eager to collaborate with Meitner because as a physicist, um, the you know, physicists tend to have a better grasp on radioactivity, which is the energy emitted by unstable atomic nuclei. Chemists don't understand that as well, and, and he was aware of that. But she was still a woman, and she was not allowed upstairs at his lab. So for years, she worked without pay in the basement, which is just insane. In 1912, Meitner and Hahn moved to the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Chemistry, and together they discovered a new element called protactinium. It's only um, when the men at the institute were then drafted during World War I that Meitner was finally given her own physics lab and the title of professor. And this position finally granted her recognition and independence, and she now could pursue her own research. So it, it, it took a war for this woman who'd been working with brilliant minds, who was herself a brilliant mind, to finally be recognized, you know, as at least having the right to pursue research the way her male counterparts did. But history has a way of, of you know, sort of ruining things. In 1933, Adolf Hitler was appointed Chancellor of Germany. And in 1938, Meitner had to flee her lab. The Nobel physicist laureate um, Niels Bohr arranged for her to escape by train, and she eventually made it to Sweden. And she was, you know, justifiably devastated that she'd had to leave behind her life's work in her lab 
and concerned about the safety of her family. But she continued to collaborate with Han by mail. He ran the experiments, and she then interpreted the findings that he could not understand. And run result stumped them both. When uranium atoms were bombarded with neutrons, the neutron should have been absorbed and an electron released, creating a heavy element. But instead, Han found barium a much lighter element, and they were baffled. What happened to the, the, the other? Where did that mass go? The finding was completely outside of Han's expertise as a chemist. And so he wrote to Lisa Meitner and said, perhaps you can come up with some sort of fantastic explanation. He continues, if there's anything you could propose that you could publish, then it would still in a way be a, a way for the three of us to work together. Han and his co colleague Fritz Strassmann submitted the results for publication in December 1938. Their tone was uncertain. They said, quote unquote, there could perhaps be a series of unusual coincidences which has given us false indications. They wrote that in German. Meitner was not included as an author, nor was there any mention of her contribution to the work. In Sweden, Meitner continued to mull over the results with, with Frisch, her physicist nephew. Uranium was extremely unstable, so they realized, and so likely it was, it was likely to fracture on impact if a neutron bumped into it. And those fragments would be violently blasted apart. And if one of those pieces were barium, Meitner thought, the other would have to be another light element called krypton. And she computed the energy driving the blast using Einstein's fav famous equation, E equals mc squared. And what she then realized is that Hahn and Strassmann had inadvertently split the atom. So she writes back to them, We have read and considered your paper very carefully. She wrote that in January 1939. Perhaps it is energetically possible for such a heavy nucleus to break up. And then in a, latter, in a later sort of letter following up to that, she expressed disappointment at not being around to do this with them. She said, even though I stand here with very empty hands, I am nevertheless happy for these wonderful findings. Meitner and Frisch both published their theoretical interpretations of Hahn and Strassmann's result in February 1939. And you can still find that in the journal Nature. Frisch and Meitner devised experiments to test the hypothesis, and in the following weeks, they published two more papers with the results, which became the first physical confirmation of what Frisch coined nuclear fission. Hahn was also receiving pushback at that time for working with a Jewish scientist. So while these two Jewish scientists are sort of essentially confirming the possibility of nuclear fission based on what Hahn had sent them, he's being told, why are you working with a Jewish scientist? And he is caving. He wrote to Meitner in 1939, I don't give these things much weight, of course, but I didn't want to confess to the gentleman that you were the only one who found out everything immediately. You know, there, there it is. He is saying it out loud. The American government, you know, sort of as the, 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 the war unfolds in, in 1940, the American government assembled the Manhattan Project to develop the atomic bomb. And many of Meitner's peers, including her cousin Frisch and Bohr, became involved. Meitner was invited, but she refused to join because she said, I will have nothing to do with a bomb. The bomb was made. In 1945, Hahn was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. He, it was one year late. He was, uh, he was then nominated for the discovery of nuclear fission. Meitner and Frisch were also nominated for the Physics Prize that year, but only Hahn won. Meitner went on to be nominated 46 times for the Nobel in both physics and chemistry. She never won. 
by the way, to this date, only four women have won in physics, and most recently in 2020. And only eight have won in chemistry. In 1968, Meitner, then 89, died in England. And an obituary that ran in the Times referred to as an atomic pioneer and the scientific partner of Otto Hahn, the Nobel Prize-winning nuclear chemist and the discoverer of nuclear fission. Now, in case you thought science was neutral, or that culture and history don't impact it, I hope this allows you to see things a little bit differently. And perhaps if you haven't seen Barbie and you haven't seen Oppenheimer, you can now watch those films and see how connected they are. How very much Barbie and Oppenheimer are, in fact, two movies about Lisa Meitner. <laughs>